The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks trying to claw back yesterday's late-day losses after the S&P does something for the first time since 2008. Investors trying to shake off twin warnings from Goldman Sachs and Apple when it comes to the health of the U.S. economy and the outlook for the labor market. And it's not just here in the United States. We have a major heat wave sweeping across many parts of the United Kingdom, straining utilities and basic services for millions of people. We have a live report on deck. Plus, it's all about Netflix after the closing bell today as the streaming giant looks to rebound from its first net subscriber loss in more than a decade. And then later on, Big Blue, black and blue, despite a quarterly earnings beat. Details on that big IBM earnings report. It is Tuesday, July 19th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's kick things off with U.S. stock futures looking to try to rebound. Again, you can see the Dow is implied higher by 98 points, the S&P higher by 16, and the Nasdaq higher by 57. This is after a late session sell-off yesterday that sent every major average sharply lower on the day, even though it was up nearly 350 points for the Dow at this highest point during the session. It closed down, though, more than 200 points after being as much as 344 points at session highs to the upside. The risk-off trade driven primarily by a report out of Bloomberg that Apple is planning to slow hiring and spending into the year 2023. Apple was a big driver of that downside move you can see there overall. It's not just Apple, though. Check out Goldman Sachs also saying it will slow hiring and is looking for even more ways to cut expenses in the coming months. You can see Goldman Sachs shares driving a lot of that downside action as well here in yesterday's session. Checking on the bond market right now, yields are moving a little bit, though, generally speaking to the upside. The 10-year benchmark Treasury note yield is just a hair below 3%, 2.99 right there. The two-year note yield, though, still above it, just a hair below 3.17%. So the yield curve is still inverted with those short-term rates above long-term ones. And in the oil market right now, Some signs there of movement, at least. We are still trying to hover right around that $100 mark for U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate crude prices. They're $101.88 right now, down about three-quarters of 1% after a big rise yesterday. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $105.42, a similar percentage decline, and just about flat on natural gas, $7.48 there. Also in cryptocurrencies, we're watching Bitcoin and Ether Bitcoin and Ether have gotten a nice bid over the course of the last few days here, and it continues today. Bitcoin price is currently 21904 up about one and a third percent. Ether prices now above 1500 1532 That's about four and a half percent upside. So generally speaking, more upside for the cryptocurrencies. Let's get a check on the over, uh, early action, rather, overseas. That's where we find Juliana Tattlebaum. She's got the early trade from Europe in our London newsroom. Good morning, Juliana. 
Hey, Dom, good morning. Well, European equities this morning are reversing some of yesterday's gains. We're trading mostly lower this morning. The CAC 40 over in France down about six-tenths of a percent. The German market down four-tenths of a percent here in the U.K., also seeing a bit of selling take take place. The Spanish market holding up better than the rest, up about 0.8 percent. But where we're seeing some particularly strong action this morning is in the euro and in bond yields. Why is that? Well, we are seeing a rise in bond yields and a rise in the euro after reports that the European Central Bank is going to discuss a 25 or a 50 basis point rate hike at its meeting this week. They're due to deliver their latest rate decision on Thursday, poised to hike rates for the first time since 2011. So now the prospect of more aggressive tightening from the ECB appears to be firmly on the table. Now, a couple of corporates in focus that I want to highlight for you as well. SoftBank has reportedly put chip designer Arms London IPO on ice amid the disarray in UK politics. This according to the Financial Times, which reports outgoing Prime Minister Mr. Boris Johnson personally lobbied Masayoshi San to agree to at least a partial UK listing for the firm. Now, the reported halt comes following the resignations of Johnson's investment and digital ministers who had played a leading role in talks with the Japanese conglomerate. SoftBank shares up 1.4% today. EDF the, is also in focus. The French government has announced it will pay 9.7 billion euros to fully nationalize the utility company EDF. Paris will file its offer of 12 euros per share by early September and will delist the firm. EDF shares trading 15% higher to just under 12 euros a share. Dom, back over to you. All right, Juliana Tettelbaum, live in London. Thank you very much for that. Let's get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Contessa Brewery is here with those. Good morning, Contessa. Good morning, Dom. Good to see you. Amazon taking legal action against the administrators of more than 10,000 Facebook groups. The e-commerce giant says those groups are paying members to generate fake reviews on Amazon in the U.S., the U.K., Germany, France, Italy, Spain and Japan. One of the groups in question called Amazon Product Review, which was removed earlier this year by Facebook parent company Meta, had 43,000 Members, Boy, it calls into question all those reviews that we rely on, right? Apple's facing a new class action lawsuit alleging it's denying developers access to its Apple Pay technology, which could be used to develop competing mobile wallet apps for iPhone. That lawsuit, filed on behalf of financial institutions and credit unions in San Francisco federal court, seeks unspecified damages and wants Apple to stop its allegedly anti-competitive conduct. No comment from Apple on the suit right now. And embattled crypto lending platform Celsius is defending its decision to halt customer withdrawals last month. Lawyers for the company tell a bankruptcy court the company was actually safeguarding customers' financial interests. How? Lawyers argue by preventing withdrawals, it actually preserved company assets so they can, and I'm quoting here, be equitably distributed. Celsius is hoping to use Chapter 11 as a way to withstand the recent crypto winter and come up with a some kind of repayment plan here for users. You can see Bitcoin up 1.3%. All right, Contessa Tom? Brewer, thank you very much for those updates there. Back to the broader markets now. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan says the Federal Reserve has a difficult task in fighting inflation, aggressively hiking rates to slow the U.S. economy. In an interview yesterday on Closing Bell, Moynihan says that's because consumers are continuing to spend. The consumer is posing the greatest benefit to the Fed and the greatest trouble in that they're employed. 
they're earning money, they're spending money, they have lots of borrowing capability, the credit quality is still strong, and they have more money in their accounts at the end of June than they had at the end of May, and frankly, multiples of what they had pre-pandemic. So that makes the Fed's jobs tough because they're trying to slow down this wonderful thing we have called the American consumer, who their spending helps drive our economy, and it's going pretty strong right now. Some strong words from Brian Moynihan. Let's bring in Seema Shah, chief global strategist over at Principal Global Investors. Uh, Bank of America, and one of its claims to fame, Seema, is that they have a banking relationship, reportedly, with about half of Americans in some way, shape, or form, whether that's traditional banking or mortgage lending or credit cards or whatnot. They seem to have a good pulse on the U.S. economy and the consumer side of things. Do you believe the consumer is as healthy as Brian Moynihan would claim? Hi, I think I think clearly the U.S. consumer has been very resilient to this point, and they have been helped by this huge amount of exit savings that has been built up over the last two years. I think the question is really is how long that can stay. Um, you know, we are starting to see cracks forming. You do hear even from Bank of America, um, a lot of their credit card data is starting to show signs of weakness. You see that corroborated across a large amount of, of data out there. So we do think that the consumer is strong right now. But if you fast forward six months to a year's time. Um, certainly the consumer will be feeling additional weakness. And of course, remember that the stronger the consumer is today, the further the Federal Reserve has to hike rates. So that will increase chances for recession later on. So Seema, uh, we've made a, a, a good deal of, I guess, importance out of this conversation we're having about whether the economic data that may be backward looking, the things that we can count like jobs, GDP, that sort of thing, seems to be going okay. But some of the forward looking stuff like sentiment and poll surveys doesn't seem to be backing that up. Would you consider perhaps right now some of these anecdotes coming out, the reports about companies slowing hiring and and perhaps even rescinding some job offers as a sign that we will see perhaps a more material weakness in the labor market in the weeks and months ahead? Yes, absolutely. You know, a lot of these indicators that we look at are leading indicators. Um, They're not going to be showing signs of, well, sorry, they won't be showing weakness right now, but they are showing that there will be signs of of further cooling in the economy as we go through the next months and next couple of quarters. And then certainly we are expecting recession to hit the U.S. economy in the first half of next year. So, you know, we are, of course, reassured by the strength currently, but that doesn't mean that the U.S. is going to avoid recession next year. So if that's the case, then, if you look at the way that the Fed is set up for, for how it has to act, is there any constructive way that the markets can take these future interest rate hikes in stride enough to form some kind of a move higher here for the broader markets? The question I often get is, when is the bottom going to happen? Nobody really knows. But is this a situation where the Fed is going to derail everything or can they engineer that, 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 much, that unicorn of a soft landing? Uh, I think, look, it's, it's not impossible, but it's certainly very unlikely. As you said, historically, there is very, very limited evidence of, um, of the U.S. being able to, to manufacture that soft landing that they keep talking about. So, I mean, what we are expecting is that the U.S. almost has no choice. They have a significant inflation problem. The only way to rectify that inflation problem is, unfortunately, to create a significant economic downturn. So this is um, something that the Federal Reserve has to do. Um, and if the, you know, the most likely scenario at this point is, unfortunately, is a hard landing. So if it's the hard landing, then what is the outlook in your mind for where people should be positioning? How, how exactly is it right back into treasuries? Because it seems as though that doesn't that doesn't want you don't want to be there if, if interest rates are going higher at some point and inflation is a problem. 
or, or is it in some of those more beaten up sectors or do you stay with the kind of trend that you've seen with some of these value oriented dividend type paying more economically less sensitive type sectors out there? Yeah, look, it's a really, really tough call at the moment to, to know where to allocate money. Within U.S. Treasuries, yes, there is certainly an element of safety. But as you pointed out, rates are going to be going higher um, over the next couple of months. But given that we do see recession in the horizon, we actually see U.S. Treasury yields going lower over the next six, to, six months to one year. So that is a place to hide out. In addition, quality. So this is talking about your high-quality investment-grade um, investment grade companies which can possibly perform okay during this downturn. Certainly, we would stay away from some of those high-yielding companies. Um, and in addition to all of this, it's really talking about high quality. Talk about companies which have got that stability of earnings. Then, and also, in addition to that, pricing, um, pricing capacity to keep pushing through price increases to consumers. So this is inevitably, it's a difficult environment, but there will be places to hide out right now. All right. Seema Shah, Principal Global Investors, thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, people in China bracing for new COVID-19 lockdowns in cities across the country as Macau, the biggest gambling hub in the world, enters the 11th day of its own lockdown. And businesses there are stretched to the limit. Plus, not just the U.S., the U.K. is in the throes of its own heat wave, so hot in some places that regional airports need to shut down because runways are buckling buckling over the record high temperatures. We have a live report in the region coming up. And then later, does Netflix have what it takes to slow its user exodus? Our own Alex Sherman is here with what investors should expect when Netflix reports earnings results. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Macau, the largest gambling hotspot in the world, is extending its COVID-19 lockdown over the weekend by five days as it looks to curb its biggest outbreak in over two years now. Authorities now say industries and commercial companies will remain closed until July 23rd at least. Our Contessa Brewer joins us now with the latest there. Contessa, uh, this is a big deal for a very big economic engine for China. Tell us what exactly is happening and why this is important. And it's an even bigger deal, Dom, for the companies that have properties in Macau because it represents a huge piece of the overall revenue pie for them. These casino closures 
Um, basically, you're looking at all but essential businesses shuttered. Bernstein gaming analyst Vitaly Umansky estimates that July gaming revenue in Macau will come in at 2 percent, 2 percent of 2019 July numbers. Macau has never seen the kind of rebound that we have seen, say, in Las Vegas or even in the regional casinos here in the U.S. because COVID travel restrictions have remained a persistent obstacle, even when they've eased up. Melco shares uh, down in a big way this year. You're looking at Wynn Resorts off 33 percent this year, MGM Resorts off 34 percent. Uh, and MGM, by the way, has less reliance on its Macau properties, but you're seeing them hit just as hard. Take a look, though, at Las Vegas Sands, which sold out of Las Vegas to shore up liquidity and focus on Macau and Singapore. And despite the closures, Sands CEO Rob Goldstein is focused on the silver lining, he told me as part of CNBC's recent Evolve conference. Most of Asia is opening. I mean, Japan's opening, Indonesia, Malaysia, Korea, you know, Vietnam. The market's open is opening. The biggest challenge there is employees and airlift getting in now. These countries is still a challenge, even into Singapore. But Singapore is, uh, you know, is leading the way in terms of it's a great government, great place to operate. We're thrilled to be there. At its peak, it was a $1.7 billion property. My guess is it will do better than that in the future. He didn't go into a lot of detailed numbers there because they're uh, reporting earnings tomorrow after the bell. But, of course, these casino closures um, mean that the the revenues are disrupted in Asia. And what we're seeing is it's not going to be reflected in the earnings report, but investors are going to really be listening for any updates about cash flow here, Dom, and how SANS is helping its subsidiary, Sands China, weather this COVID storm. We know that they've already uh, loaned the subsidiary quite a significant amount of money, a billion, billion and a half dollars. But by the way, if you think these Macau-exposed casino stocks have been battered, take a look at the names associated with big launches in sports betting. You've got Caesars, DraftKings, Penn and Bally's down. Look at Caesars, down 59% year to date. Their shares really taking it on the chin. So, so, okay, Contessa, I mean, this is a kind of tale of two cities in some way, right? A, 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 the, the rebound in Vegas, like you mentioned, uh, since the depths of the pandemic, and then Macau really can't kind of get out of its own way. I, I shouldn't say Macau can't get out of its own way. I should say China is making it so that Macau cannot get out of its own way. How much of a big deal is it that because China has these zero COVID policies that Macau cannot be relied on as a reliable gaming growth hub because the Chinese government is going to make it so they can't be a reliable gaming growth hub. You know, it's so problematic because there's no way to predict when that ends. And by the way, these companies are still paying their employees in Macau. They they needed to do that. In part, it's hard for them to say this because they are up for license renewal, what they call um, uh, uh, the, their licenses are up for renewal. They've been extended for six months. But in order to make sure that the government gives them those licensing agreements, of course, they're keeping people at work and coming into the office, even when there's no customers there. Well, that's really problematic because they are just bleeding cash at this point. Uh, so, so that's number one. But number two is, as you said at the beginning, this is the biggest gambling hub in the world. Uh, they are expecting a kind of Las Vegas rebound on steroids. And we've seen it in Las Vegas. 
records being set because people just want to get out. So when that happens, not if they say, but when it happens, it should be very, very good for the bottom line. All right, we'll see if, if it happens and when for sure. Still on deck for the show. Thank you, Contessa Brewer here. It, it, it's he said, she said, right? As Twitter and Elon Musk head to court today over the now and temporarily terminated Twitter take private deal. We have those details of that big suit coming up next after the break. Keep it right here. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. We've got three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got IBM. Big Blue's second quarter profits beating forecasts as sales rose 9%. But the company is seeing higher labor costs, including in its consulting business, which accounts for more than half of the workforce there. IBM's chief financial officer also warning currency headwinds will hurt revenue more than expected in the second half of the year. IBM shares right now down about 5%. Stock number two is Occidental Petroleum. An SEC filing shows Berkshire Hathaway has bought, yes, Another 1.9 million shares of the oil and gas producer. It's becoming a theme at this point, right? That puts it closer to the 20% ownership threshold, which would allow it to record some of Occidental's earnings alongside its own earnings. Shares have more than doubled this year thanks to rising oil prices, amongst other things. But those Oxy shares right now up a percent in the pre-market. And then stock number three is Nikola. The electric vehicle maker is delaying its shareholder meeting for the third time since June. The company wants to give investors more time to consider a proposal to raise the number of outstanding shares. Nikola has rescheduled this meeting for August 2nd for right now. Well, much of Europe is dealing with a record-breaking heat wave as scorching temperatures fuel fast-spreading wildfires and disrupt lives of millions of people there. CNBC's Arabile Goumade joins us now from London, where it is going to be upwards of around 101 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's around 40 to 41 degrees centigrade. Arabile, just how hot is it for you out there? You guys must not be really used to it. Yeah, Dominique, look, it's uh, quite, uh, quite a hot one, to, to say the very least, right? At least 41 degrees Celsius, as you noted there, more than 100 degrees Fahrenheit. I promise you, 
I can feel it, right? It's just gone around 10.25 here and it's already 35 degrees. So those weather conditions could get a whole lot warmer as we head into the rest of the day. The biggest problem at hand, however, has been the infrastructure. Right behind me is the Hammersmith Bridge then, uh, which has had quite a few issues when it comes to structural reliability. And the problem at that point is that uh, you're going to have to try and find a way to then keep things cool, particularly in the summer, so you close it and you try to make sure that underground you kind of fixate and make it a little bit better. That isn't just the only problem. We've got railways which need to be shut or perhaps cancelled uh, trains as well. You're going to have to try and find another way because even roads are lifting. Even Luton Airport, just not so far from here, had also had to just sort of cancel a few flights because the ground had begun lifting. So very difficult time indeed. So, Arabile, take, take us through what exactly you're seeing with regard to the impact on, on, on folks out there, the general public. Are, are people still taking the tube, the subway system over there? Are people still kind of out and about or, or, or are you seeing less traffic or are people staying more indoors because of this? Yeah, so you actually see that the tube itself gets very, very full. But that's because they've kind of cut out quite a few uh, um, um, trains, actually. And so it means that they happen at a less frequent time slot, which means that the traffic actually builds up a whole lot more. So you have a whole lot more people in each, uh, each ride at the train station. So that becomes one. You are still seeing people still going through uh, to the office to work. They're looking for different modes of transportation, of course, to try and do so. Uh, things like bikes certainly being a key part of that. Schools have closed in certain regions, but in others, they actually haven't work has decided, well, we need to try and find better ways of ventilation because that's going to be key and important, right? Um, what we're find though, finding, though, is that productivity becomes the key question mark now. From around an hour from now till around 3 p.m. and around four hours or so, it's going to get quite interesting because that's when you don't want people out at the very most. It is that lunchtime peak period here in London, and what you're trying to do is get a lot less people out here. The cost, however, of this infrastructure build heading into 2050, though, is going to be of key question to everybody. All right. It's 92 degrees Fahrenheit in London right now, where Arabile Gumade is right now. Thank you very much for that. It's going to feel like Scottsdale, Arizona out there, at least for a little bit. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. It's going to be hot here, too, Philip. It seems like it's hot everywhere, Dom. Uh, good morning. Uh, we're learning more about sun new details about Sunday night's mass shooting at a mall in Indiana that left three people dead and two others injured. Uh, authorities are calling a 22-year-old civilian a hero and crediting him with saving lives after he shot and killed the alleged shooter. That man has been identified as Elijah Dickin. Authorities said that Dickin was legally carrying a handgun when he confronted and immediately killed the shooter. Opening arguments are set to begin today in the criminal contempt trial of Steve Bannon. The former Trump White House advisor is facing charges for refusing to testify before the January 6th committee. A young woman is soaring through the glass ceiling in the U.S. Navy. Lieutenant Amanda Lee is now the first female to serve as a demonstration pilot with the Blue Angels. The Minnesota native has been a naval aviator for six years. In 2019, she was part of the first all-female flyover for retired Navy Captain Rosemary Mariner, one of the first women to receive their wings as a U.S. naval aviator in 1974. 
Going into this year's Major League Baseball Home Run Derby, it was all about the oldest contestant in history, but it was the kids that ended up stealing the show. 42-year-old Albert Pujols did have the biggest upset of the night, eliminating the top seed Kyle Schwarber in the first round. But Pujols would eventually fall to Washington star Juan Soto in the semifinals, setting up the youngest finals matchup in Home Run Derby history. I think he went to 19, I would believe. But now, this is 20, as a matter of fact. He keeps going. He's down on the knee. He's got it. Bat is flipped sky high. And Juan Soto is your 2022. Alonzo. Off balance, but on target. The 23-year-old Juan Soto beats 21-year-old Julio Rodriguez. Soto gets the trophy and a million dollars in prize money. Dom Soto was in diapers, and Rodriguez wasn't even born yet when Pujols was drafted by the Cardinals back in 1999. It's hard to believe that I could be the father for both of those guys right now. Same, same, Dom, same. I get it. But it was fun to watch for sure. Philip Mena, thank you very much. We appreciate it for the home run derby. Still to come on the show, massive crypto outflows rocking the industry. We've got the latest on that whole trade when the Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. Stocks looking for a Tuesday turnaround after Monday's rally stalls out. Earnings once again a key driver. Futures are higher ahead of the opening bell. Twitter firing back at Elon Musk and his bid to delay its lawsuit over his failed takeover bid as a judge prepares to take the matter up. And bracing for Netflix earnings and what could be rough results for the streaming giant. CNBC's own Alex Sherman lays out the key figures to watch. It's Tuesday, July 19, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this morning. It's right around 534 a.m. Eastern time on the East Coast. And here's how the markets and your money are looking right now. They're looking a little bit better. Futures right now pointing to some higher gains at the opening bell, about 157 points of the upside for the Dow, 25 points of the upside for the S&P 500, and roughly 77, a little bit more muted on that NASDAQ trade right now. But that's the case. We are going to see green on the screen, at least for now. We'll see if that sticks. This is all after yesterday's late session sell-off. And according to Jonathan Krinsky at BTIG, this is going to be interesting. The S&P 500 has now closed below its 50-day moving average, its kind of medium-term trend line, for 60, 60 straight sessions. That's the longest stretch since November of 2008. And Krinsky does add that over the last 50 years, such streaks have occurred during established bear markets. So maybe the charts indicating perhaps that this is, in fact, a real, true bear market. We also have to get a check right now on the price of oil because WTI prices are seeing a little bit of a rebound. U.S. benchmark crude, I spoke too soon. They were up a little bit earlier. Now they're down about three quarters of one percent, one hundred and one dollars and eighty two cents. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, one hundred and five dollars and thirty five cents. That's down about three quarters of one percent as well. And that gas price is up a half a percent, seven dollars and fifty one cents there. This is all, by the way, as the price at the pump continues to ease a bit. AAA is reporting that the average gasoline price in the U.S. for regular unleaded is now below four dollars and fifty cents with 23 states, as you can see there, below that threshold. That is the first time that the average is below that mark in the last nine weeks. South Carolina, by the way, if you're out there, you're actually seeing prices fall below $4 per gallon for regular unleaded. So 
Congratulations there. Enjoy it. To some of this morning's top corporate stories, including the latest on the legal fight between Elon Musk and Twitter, Contessa Brewer is back with more of those headlines. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Dom. A judge is set to hear arguments today in Twitter's bid for a September trial in its lawsuit seeking to hold Elon Musk to his $44 billion deal for the social media company. Those two sides will make their arguments about the trial's proposed start date. Musk is seeking to delay the trial until next year ahead of today's hearing. Twitter's attorneys accuse Musk of using these delay tactics in part to harm the company's reputation. You can see Twitter shares off nearly a percent in extended trading. In Washington, the Senate is set to hold its first procedural vote on a bill to boost the U.S. semiconductor industry. The legislation is a scaled back version of a bill that Congress has been working on for more than a year. It's expected to include $52 billion in subsidies for the industry and a tax credit for companies that manufacture semiconductors in the U.S. Lawmakers hope to pass that bill before their August recess. And new data reveals crypto miners are rapidly exiting their Bitcoin positions. The blockchain analytics firm CryptoQuant shows more than $300 million was transferred out of crypto wallets during a 24-hour period at the end of last week. Typically, that move indicates miners are preparing to sell their previously mined coins in order to cover ongoing expenses. We continue to watch with bated breath. Still holding right around that 22,000 mark in Tesla for Bitcoin prices. Thank you very much for that. Mm -hmm. Netflix reports its second quarter earnings after the closing bell today and following last quarter's first net subscriber loss in more than a decade and a stock that's been dead money for the past six plus months. The lead up to today's report is more akin to perhaps hurricane preparation than a quarterly report. Joining us now is CNBC media tech reporter Alex Sherman. Uh, Alex, uh, maybe dead money is a victory. It certainly hasn't been dead money. It's been going down. Uh, What exactly is Netflix going to have to say today to get people excited about this company again? Well, Dom, I do not think it will be what they say about the previous quarter. Uh, Netflix has already estimated that they would lose 2 million subscribers in the second quarter. And if you think about all of the various macroeconomic headwinds that we have talked about uh, on CNBC for weeks and months now between rising inflation and a likely recession, or at least a a possible recession coming down the pike. It would not surprise me at all if the number was even worse uh, than 2 million. We'll have to see. So in order to get people excited about the stock, I think it's going to have to be something that's said about the next two quarters, the, the third quarter and the fourth quarter, Netflix will certainly talk about its content. Uh, they do have several shows, uh, hit shows coming in the back half of the year, such as The Crown. They have a big movie out now, The Gray Man. Um, but they'll probably talk about uh, uh, their efforts to crack down on password sharing in this new advertising-supported tier, which will be less expensive than the subscription tier uh, that people currently around the world pay for Netflix as ways to reinvigorate growth. So that growth needs to be reinvigorated in some way, Alex, right? Because Netflix is one of those companies that caught a massive tailwind during the pandemic as everybody kind of got locked down and had to work from home or stay at home. People started to stream a lot more. But it also created a very hyper competitive environment for Netflix, which is still the top of the heap. 
but everyone else is trying to kind of get market share from them. How much is that competitive dynamic as we are showing, by the way, viewers, the price of streaming platforms and those listening on Sirius XM? I mean, you're talking paying anywhere from five to 15, 20 dollars each for these things. How much is that going to weigh on investors as Netflix has to navigate that kind of environment where people are putting out that much more content? So there's a plus and a minus here. Uh, the good news, you know, the good news or the bad news, Dom? I want the bad uh, the news good, first. I want the, bad, the news bad news first. first. The bad news is if you're entering a period of uh, economic downturn when consumers are going to be tightening their discretionary spend. And by the way, there are several studies already out there that this has begun already where Americans are cutting back on the amount of money that they spend on entertainment. Netflix is the most expensive streaming service out there of the standard streaming services. That's what you just saw on the wall there. More expensive than HBO Max, more expensive than Disney Plus, more expensive than Apple TV Plus, Peacock, Paramount Plus. So for the good news is that's always been a feather in Netflix cap when it comes to its ARPU, average revenue per user. It's always been higher than the competition. Uh, and that's what investors like to see. But the bad news is it may be the first service to go if you're looking to save money uh, in a time period where you may need to save money. Uh, We didn't see that during the pandemic, remember, in our last recession. That's because everybody was stuck home. So Netflix was actually a huge winner in that recession. This recession where everyone wants out of the house and they're going to need to save money, it may be a different dynamic. It's a stock that's lost two-thirds of its value just year-to-date, and it's trading at 18 times forward earnings. We'll see if anybody finds some value there. Alex Sherman, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Good luck today. Thanks, Tom. All right, coming up on the show, more of your morning's big money movers, including Amazon.com, finding itself under the microscope of federal officials. The new probe targeting the e-commerce giant coming up. But first, as we head out to break, some of your top trending stories. Starbucks CEO says the coffee giant is planning to close more stores over ongoing safety risk concerns. In a video posted to Twitter, Howard Schultz says the stores have been deemed, quote unquote, not unprofitable due to rising problems, including homelessness, crime, drug use in stores and whatnot. Disney reporting a record upfront with advertisers committing nine billion dollars worth of deals. Companies Disney Plus streaming service, ESPN Plus, and Hulu services, as Alex just mentioned, driving the majority of that demand for advertising space. And Amazon giving the look of its Prime Video service a major overhaul. The redesign of its user interface is set to begin in the middle of next month. For years, Amazon's streaming service has been criticized for its clunky interface and outdated appearance. So watch for those changes in the coming weeks. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for a bonus big money mover. That's Amazon. The e-commerce giant's warehouses are under investigation by the Justice and Labor Departments. Federal workplace inspectors are examining the facilities outside of New York City, Chicago and Orlando on Monday. And as part of a civil investigation into allegations of workplace safety issues, representatives from Amazon, by the way, did not immediately respond to a request for comment Nonetheless, those shares for Amazon up about two-thirds of 1% in the pre-market trade right now. Also watching computer chip stocks gaining steam as of late. you got names like NVIDIA, Intel, Advanced Micro Devices, AMD. 
climbing between 4 and 7 percent in just the last week alone. Now, as we pointed out yesterday, the Vanek Vector Semiconductor ETF, ticker SMH, is seeing a bounce up nearly 5 percent in the same time frame. So is now the time to buy some of those key names in this very key sector, this very key part of the technology trade? Let's bring in Matt Bryson, Senior Vice President of Equity Research and Hardware at Wedbush Securities. Uh, Matt, we've noted the outperformance in the last week. SMH versus some of the other software and cloud computing type ETFs is up huge. How much of this is just on the optimism around possible more taxpayer spending around semiconductor facilities here in America, as opposed to some of the maybe broader fundamentals for the business? I, I, I think certainly that that's a factor, Dom. So particularly with Intel, they are poised uh, to receive a, a significant portion of subsidies, uh, given it looks like a lot of that additional dollar content is going to go to uh, companies that manufacture chips, um, like Intel, uh, like Global Foundries. Uh, but but I think also uh, for, for some names, um, and I'd highlight AMD, there's also a realization that I, I believe that fundamentals aren't necessarily that bad. So remember, we did get Taiwan Semi last week give us uh, better results, a uh, better outlook, um, and, and tell us that certain segments, um, including the high-end server market, uh, actually look pretty good from their vantage point. So, so if that's the case, is there a favorite that you have right now in that, in that coverage universe, or either targeting those specific parts of semiconductors or, or perhaps a company that kind of has a portfolio that, that seems to be tilted more that way? Uh, yeah, certainly, uh, Dom. My, my favorite name I, at this juncture is AMD. I, I think they are um, in a position to continue to gain share from Intel in both uh, the server segment and the PC segment over the next couple of years. Um, and I don't really see that dynamic changing till late 24, 25. If that's the case, and you like AMD versus, say, an NVIDIA or, or a KLA Corp or an Intel or anyone, anyone else, do you also feel as though, from a valuation perspective, at some point, some of these other names do become more compelling, even if maybe the growth prospects aren't there in some of the places that you mentioned for AMD. At some point, prices fall far enough where the business still has a pretty decent value, right? Uh, yeah, certainly. I, I mean, you look at something like NVIDIA, they, they have a great longer-term story. I, I'm waiting for the, um, the, the, the decline in crypto mining, um, the potential weight on their consumer GPU business to uh, – to, to get fully baked into, into um, the name and the outlook, but uh, you can't argue that they are the leader in AI um, and that spend in AI will, will continue moving forward. Um, same thing with Intel, right? Intel is going, they're investing a, a ton of dollars in terms of restoring competitiveness. Um, I am more negative on that stock just because I, I think it's going to take them longer to get back to um, where they are competitive in their core markets. Having said that, there's still value um, in their in their facilities, in their ability to manufacture chips. Um, and, and at some point, yeah, uh, there, there's a valuation bomb. All right. Matt Bryson, his top pick is Advanced Micro Devices. Thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. You too, Don. Thank you. On deck for the show, stocks seeking some momentum as traders gear up for another busy day of quarterly earnings reports. Delancey Wealth Management's Ivory Johnson lays out what to watch in the trading day ahead. And as we head out to break, 
Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon diving further into his comments that inflation is, quote unquote, deeply entrenched in the global economy, expanding on his thoughts while speaking with Jim Cramer last night on Mad Money. Take a listen. I think what I was trying to say is there's inflation everywhere. And as I talk to CEOs that have big global supply chains, they're not seeing it level off yet. And so I'm not going to predict, you know, I think certainly we're going to see tighter monetary conditions to try to control that. But I'm not going to predict that that trajectory, Jim, but we're just trying to be nimble and in a position to support our clients as they navigate what obviously will be a period of tighter financial conditions in order to try to tame that inflation. All right, welcome back. Earnings remaining the top of the list here for market drivers in this trade as we work through one of the busiest weeks of the earnings season so far. IBM becoming the latest big example of an earnings beat, but a margin miss with its results in a trend where we're seeing kind of this early kind of an often message being conveyed by these companies saying that, you know, cost pressures are going to hit on their gross margins. For more on this in the trading day ahead, let's bring in Ivory Johnson, founder of Delancey Wealth Management. Uh, I wonder, Ivory, is anybody immune? Are any companies immune to this? And are they the ones worth investing in right now? No, I think the supply chain issue that you mentioned is going to affect uh, corporations, not just the, the uh, raw material ingredients, but also we've had you know, wage growth. I know real wage growth is negative, but uh, employment expenses are high. Uh, I think, you know, the consumer staples, obviously, the utilities should do a little bit better because it, they're, they're more of a defensive position. But I think, you know, we're seeing the consumers now uh, and consumer spending is 70 percent of GDP, but they've been facing higher inflation and in oil and gas prices as well as in, as, as food. And that's going to affect earnings as well, especially what's happened over the last year. It, uh, they're, they're spending these days, of course, discretionary is stuff that they spend on in, in, in droves for sure. Healthcare has also become a massive part of that spending picture and will become an even bigger part of that spending picture in the next 10, 20, 30 years for Americans. That's mm-hmm. spending as well. How much of that do you think is behind this big healthcare trade that we've seen outperform now for the better part of the last six to nine months? Well, the reason the healthcare trade has worked is because it's, it's a defensive position. If you need a prescription, you're likely going to fill it if you have the means. Uh, and, and I think the overriding concern is it's really the comps, because when we had the stimulus packages in, in March of 2020, that fueled a tremendous amount of earnings growth. Um, and when you compare the year over growth with second quarter 2020 with second quarter 2021, it looked really well. But the problem is you're now comparing that that big growth, year over year growth from second quarter 2021 with what we saw in the last year. And, and that's not going to be as good. So the bar is just so much higher that when you start to compare earnings, it won't be as favorable. And so when you talk about they, they beat expectations, I imagine if somebody said, we think Ivory can run a 12 minute mile. Well, if I ran it in 10 minutes, doesn't mean I'm fleet of foot. It just means I walk really fast. And I think that's what we're going to start to see with earnings, that when you compare it, the year over year growth with the previous year, it won't look as good. All right. So, Ivory, you know, earlier this spring, you you were you were telling us that you liked commodities, gold, all Mm -hmm. of those things. We know what they've done since this spring. 
Are commodities like gold, oil, elsewhere still where you want to put money given the pullback, or do you think we're in a decline now? No, no, no. I, I, because I also thought that inflation was decelerating. And, and so now you're starting to see that with copper and, and, and wheat and oil. So those so commodities is probably you want to be on the opposite side of that trade. Gold broke down in the beginning of this month, but on a relative basis, uh, it's still outperforming the S&P 500 by a pretty wide margin. And if you had commodities and, and you, you, you timed it right, you, you did really well with that position. So those two positions on a relative basis significantly outperform the S&P 500. Um, but, but right now, obviously, commodities is not the place to go. Uh, if, if, if oil would have to be $144 a barrel sure. just to maintain the same pace of inflation. So, so those are two positions that I, I, I'd be careful about. All right. Ivory Johnson and Lancey Well, thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. Thank you. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picked up the market coverage coming up next with the Dow futures indicating a higher open. So keep it right here. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.